This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, there was a group of scholars and writers who used to meet at a little pub outside the town of Oxford. They were all associated with Oxford University, these scholars and writers. They called themselves the Inklings, a little play on words. The pub where they gathered was a very ordinary place. In fact, I saw it when I was in Oxford a couple of years ago. Most ordinary sort of place where common people would gather. In the back of this pub, these scholars would meet. They would talk about their work. They would encourage and challenge each other. And they would read to one another what they were working on. These men were not only writers, not only scholars. They were also Christians. And one of their major concerns was showing how you could bring Christian themes into your writing. The best known of the Inklings was Clive Staples Lewis, C.S. Lewis, the author of Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters, The Narnia Chronicles. Lewis would read his poetry and his essays and his novels to his friends. Another member of the Inklings was Charles Williams, not as well known as Lewis, but in his own way as remarkable. Williams wrote these fantastic novels that included in a really wonderful way many of the themes of Christian life. There was a third member of the Inklings, probably now almost as well known as C.S. Lewis. His name was John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Tolkien was the professor of Anglo-Saxon at Oxford. He did some scholarly work that a few specialists read. But Tolkien, beginning in the 1930s, began to read to his friends in the Inklings novels and stories and sagas. The first was The Hobbit, published in 1937. But the first people to hear The Hobbit were the Inklings. Then throughout the late 40s and early 50s, he began to write and to read to his friends The Lord of the Rings, which is now the basis of the most popular movie in the world, this series of films based on the three books. Of course, the books themselves became, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, multi-million sellers all over the world. It's very easy to forget in our enthusiasm for the energy and drama of these stories that Tolkien was a Catholic, a very devout Catholic, and that he wanted to pour into this great story his Catholic faith. Let me talk to you a little bit about the Catholic themes in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. We know the story in rough outline. At the heart of it is a ring of power had been forged many eons ago for the purpose of domination. It's been wielded by dark and evil powers. 
the ring of power. J.R.R. Tolkien lived through many of the horrors of the 20th century. He himself fought in the First World War, in the trenches. Many of his friends didn't return from battle. He knew firsthand the dangers of this desire for power. More to the point, he lived through the 30s and 40s in Europe. He saw the horror of Nazism. But, but, in the deepest sense, he was a Catholic Christian, a student of St. Augustine. St. Augustine once defined sin as the libido dominandi. That means the lust to dominate. Power, Augustine saw, at the very heart of the matter in sin. And so, a ring of power. Look, at the heart of which is nothing. It's this golden circlet, but at its heart is nothing. That's also very Augustinian. Augustine said sin is a type of non-being. People lusting after the ring of power. Christians, that's all of us sinners in one form or another. You could be Hitler wanting to dominate the world, or you could be someone wanting to dominate your family or dominate your friends or your place of work. Whatever it is, sin takes this form. As Tolkien's story unfolds, through a set of wild circumstances, that great ring of power comes into the hands of the unlikeliest figure, Frodo the Hobbit. Remember Tolkien's world, and we know it now from the movie so vividly, is filled with all kinds of creatures. It's mighty wizards like Gandalf. They're elves who are like angels. They're orcs. They're men. They're dwarves. But the least significant people in his world are the hobbits. They're also called halflings. They're about three feet high. Little tiny, simple, unprepossessing people. The ones you're most likely to overlook. Well, into the hands of this simple hobbit comes this ring of power. What does Frodo realize? That he must destroy it. And so the story unfolds as an epic journey. But here's the wonderful thing. Not an epic journey to find something. How many epics across the centuries are stories of a quest to find something, to find a treasure, to find the Holy Grail, whatever it is. In Tolkien's story, it's an epic quest to get rid of something. Frodo must return the Ring of Power to Mount Doom, where it was forged, and he has to throw it there and destroy it in the fires from which it came. So he gathers around himself this fellowship of the ring, wizards and dwarves and men and so on, who will help him on this journey. He has to go back to the place of darkness where the ring was forged. That means he has to go back to where evil lies, and in the very heart of evil, destroy this symbol of evil. Friends, can you see this as a deeply 
Christian story. What do we Christians claim? And Tolkien knew this so well. God's world, made good, beautiful, has been polluted and corrupted by sin, by the libido dominandi, by the will to power. The ring of power, if you will, has wrecked God's beautiful world. Look in Tolkien's imagination, the land of Mordor, this place of darkness, desolation, evil. It's a symbol of the world having been corrupted by the power of sin. This ring has found its way into our midst. And don't you love, too, as you watch the film, that everyone, every character, even the best among them, are seduced by the ring. They're drawn by its power. They want it. Even the best of them want it. They want to possess it. That's the corruption, the universal corruption of sin. As Frodo makes his way to Mordor, he draws to him more and more of the dark powers. Remember I mentioned last week in the story of the Magi, when you walk God's path, expect opposition. Yes, as he walks the path of righteousness to return this ring of power and destroy it, he attracts to him all the dark powers. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that those who believe in him might have life in his name. Friends, at the heart of the Christian drama is the story of God's love, which sent into our dark world someone who would grab this terrible ring, which has bedeviled us, who would grab this terrible symbol of sin and would carry it back to its place of origin and destroy it. What's the Christian drama? Not so much a quest to find something, but a quest to get rid of something. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. The priest at Mass holds up the host and the cup, the consecrated elements, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Frodo Baggins, this simple, unprepossessing figure, is one of the great Christ figures in 20th century literature. Remember, if you read all through the trilogy at the very end, as Frodo is carrying the ring up the mountain, it's weighing him down. In fact, so much that his friend, Sam, has to carry him. What does that call to mind if you're a Christian? It calls to mind Christ climbing up Mount Calvary under the weight of his cross, the cross symbolizing all the evil of the world. Christ having to be supported on this terrible journey up the mountain. That's Frodo making his way up Mount Doom to rid the world of evil and of sin. Now, you might be wondering, why am I telling you the story of Tolkien's trilogy? on the feast of the baptism of the Lord. That's our feast for this week. The connection really is a simple one, but I think it's a profound one. John the Baptist said, I announce one who's coming after me, who's more powerful than I am. He has a winnowing fan in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. It's a great, mighty figure, God's own Son coming. And then John says, when he finally sees him, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, God's Lamb, who will take away the sins of the world. When Christ comes, who is he? Mighty king, worldly emperor, wielding his sword and spear. He comes as the simplest and humblest servant, like a lamb. And then he stands in the muddy waters of the Jordan, shoulder to shoulder with us sinners, Looking out over that sea of people in the River Jordan, could you pick him out? There he is. There is clearly the Messiah. He looks like any other sinner. Christians, the point is this humble, simple person who has come not to lord it over us, but to bear what burdens us in all his simplicity, in all his poverty, like a lamb, like a child, like a little hobbit who's come to hold on and bear what bedevils us. That's the Christian drama. That's the Christian story. Thank God that these men, the Inklings, gathered together and endeavored to tell the Christian story in literature. And thank God for J.R.R. Tolkien, who told us this marvelous story. And when you watch the movie now, remember, it's Catholic and Christian heart, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. God bless. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360. I hope that you were moved today by The Word on Fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. With today's busy lifestyles, it can be hard to provide healthy meals for your children to take to school. Let FSP take that off your to-do list. Whether you need breakfast, lunch, or snacks, FSP is there to support you. Quality, service, affordability, that's what FSP offers. To find out more about our kid-tested, school-based meal programs, Call FSP at 773-385-5100. FSP, we're more than a school food service.